This morning we look at John chapter 7, and we get straight to the heart of the matter. In John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. All right, let's take a look at John chapter 7 this morning. Uh, you ever come across one of those places where it says restricted or no admittance or keep out? I always wonder what's behind those signs. Uh, I always wonder uh, what, what is back there that they don't want us to know about, that I'm not allowed to be back there. And so it's like, in fact, sometimes I kind of wonder, well, well, who is allowed to go back there? Well, what kind of person, what kind of card, what kind of key do you need to have to be able to go through one of those no admittance doors? You're not permitted here in this place. And then I think, well, why, why can't I go into one of those places? What, what, what is it about my life that I'm not allowed to go into those places? And then I, I get even a little bit, I won't quite call it paranoid, but, but I mean, well, what is it that I'm missing? Uh, well, what's back on the other side of that door that, that, that they don't want me to know about now? The truth is, there's probably a couple of those signs that are for my safety. Uh, I think about the airport, and there's probably some signs there that say there's no admittance, and some of those doors are the ones where they, they bring the, 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 the skyway, the, the walk to the airport, and, and if the skywalk's not there and you open that door and you walk out, you just kind of fall to your death. That's probably good for me that that door says no admittance and I haven't gone through there, but I have a sneaking suspicion that behind some of those doors are an all-you-can-eat buffet and that they're just there for people who are brave enough to open that door and say, you know what, I'm going in no matter what. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you're like me and you're curious What's on the other side of that door, and why can't I go in? Maybe you have come to the point where you've just kind of settled for the fact that I don't know, I'm not allowed to go in there, I don't know what it is about me, but probably I don't deserve to go in uh, behind that door, and you've just come to terms with that. And maybe you've come to the place where you've just determined, uh, you've just determined that, you know what, probably what's on the other side of that door, I don't even want that anyways. But I've got good news for you this morning. I've got great news for you this morning. The door to Jesus is wide open. There is nothing restricted. There is nothing holding back. There is no sense in that door that says no admittance because you are invited to have your life changed forever by believing in Jesus. You are invited to have your life changed forever by believing in Jesus. A handful of things I want you to think about as we look at that piece of good news is I want you to know that that invitation is universal. The reason why I know that you are invited is because everyone is invited. That's how I know that you're invited because you are a living, breathing soul. You are invited to have your life changed by Jesus. 
In fact, we're looking at this in John chapter 7 and verse 37 and in verse uh, 38. It says, if anyone thirsts, let him come in and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I want you to know that it's you because it's everyone. I also want you to know that your point of access is based on your need. It says anyone who thirsts. In other words, anyone who doesn't have exactly what they need right now. The way that you get in there is not by saying, I've got it all together. It is saying, I lack. And that's the entry point into having your life changed by Jesus forever. And then I want you to see that what Jesus says in those handful of words is that if anyone thirsts, let him come in. Because whoever believes in me, it's anyone. But the entry point is about believing. It is about believing in Jesus. I want you to know that when we get to John chapter 7 and verse 37, that the word believe here is used for the 34th time in the gospel of John. In fact, when we began this passage of scripture, when we began to study the gospel of John, we said the whole book is about believing. And in fact, we said you're going to find believing on every single page of the gospel of John. Well, I didn't have that right. Because in my Bible, the Gospel of John takes up 22 pages. The word believe shows up 84 times. Believe, 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 believe. The whole process, the whole calling on our lives is that you may believe. And it is saturating in this whole thing. It is all about believing. So what does that look like in the real world? Now what I love about that statement, what does that look like about the real world, is because you and I live in the real world, and what we read about in John chapter 7 is also the real world, with people who look just like you and me, behave just like you and me, and struggle with the same things that you and me do. And that's the wonder of God's word, is that it also is the real world, and this is the real world. And so there is this connection between the word and our own lives. And what I want you to see is that in John chapter 7, we see evidence that people believe in Jesus. That's the first thing that I want you to see here is that people believe in Jesus every single day. Take a look at John chapter 7 and verse 31. It says, yet many people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? See, I love the fact that in John chapter 7 and in almost every page of this gospel, there are people who move from not believing to believing. That's the whole point of the Gospel of John, is that there were people who didn't believe, and now they do believe. We, we call that salvation. We call that becoming a Christ follower. We call that becoming a Christian. It is the whole born-again conversation from John chapter 3. You must be born again. It is the beginning of the life of the disciple where we joyfully pursue the patterns and the priorities and the purpose of Jesus. Every day, there are people who believe. 
Now, why did they believe? Well, in part, uh, that they believed because they, they looked back at this and said, what more would the Christ do than what we see Jesus doing? Well, what, what more would we expect other than this miraculous activity, these miracles that he does, the profoundness of his teaching, the graciousness of his spirit, the perfection of his life? What more would we expect? To, how is someone going to be Jesus plus? <laughs> there, there, there is no plus. I mean, this is it. This is the top. In fact, we see again uh, here in verses 45 and 46, it says, when the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, they said to him, why did you not bring him? Because they had been sent to arrest him. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. You see, why did they believe? Because there is a tipping point where believing becomes more reasonable than unbelieving. There, there is a tipping point where it just says, you know what, it is silly not to believe what's here in front of me. No one has ever spoken like this man does. When the Messiah comes, is he really going to do more than what Jesus has done? Is the truth, is the, the echo inside of my soul ever going to be stronger than what it is when I hear the word of Jesus speak into my life? There's a tipping point. Now understand, even inside of that tipping point, there is still going to be a moment where you have to take a step of faith from what you know into what you don't know. I, had, I heard a pastor tell a story several years ago, and it really has, has stayed with me. He, he had a person that was struggling, dealing with doubt, who came to see him in his office and said, I just wish that God would prove himself to me. And, and said, I, I just really need, if God is really true, that, that God would prove himself. And, and so they kind of looked out the window of the office, and outside of the window of the office, uh, there was a big tree outside that window. And they said, listen, if God is really real, I, I want to pray that in 10 minutes, God hits that tree with lightning. Now the pastor was a better pastor than me, a sharper pastor than me, and said, okay, let, let's, let's pray for that. And they got done praying. He said, now just a quick question. If that tree gets hit by lightning in 10 minutes, are you really going to believe? Or will you come up a list of reasons why that was a coincidence and that's not what really happened. You, you see, when we say, God, prove it, no matter what happens, there still is going to be left over at the end of that prove it conversation that says, will you believe it? Will you step out in faith in that point? But what I want you to see in John chapter 7 and what I want you to see in, in, in this day as well is that people are believing in Jesus every single day. We, we prayed about the fact that Afghanistan is the most difficult place to be a follower of Jesus in the entire world. But you know what? Even in the most difficult place in the entire world to be a follower of Jesus, there are people becoming followers of Jesus in that place today. Because every day, people are becoming believers. I want you to know that people believe every day. I want you to know and I want you to hear from this passage of Scripture and from Jesus' own words that the entry point is believing. 
Now, I want to have just a quick side note about this idea of believing. Uh, I want us to be careful in our language, and I want us to be careful in our language, sometimes in our homes, when we call on our family or our kids to believe in things that aren't Jesus. Sometimes around certain seasons of the year. Oh, you gotta believe, you gotta believe. Listen, there is belief that leads to life. And there is belief that leads to seasonal merriment. Don't let your emphasis on seasonal merriment water down belief that leads to life. Believe in Jesus. It is different than anything else we ever believe. Don't spend energy convincing someone to believe something other than Jesus. Are you with me? Can, can, you, can you hear that? Belief is the entry point to God. It matters above all else. Don't give it a cousin. It stands apart from everything else. Every day, people believe. Now, I also have to point out to you that not everyone believes. Not everyone believes. Well, I wish this wasn't true, but, but, but take a look at the chapter again, verses one through five. It says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee, and he would not go about in Judea, because the Jews or the religious authorities were seeking to kill him. Now that is strong evidence of unbelief, isn't it? <laughs> they are seeking to kill him. It gets worse. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brothers said to him, now these are his brothers. These are the family folks. These are the folks that he, had, he shared bunk beds with, okay? This is his brothers who have just we know that the Jews are seeking to kill him. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if anyone seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Here is what is known. Boy, they are trying to kill Jesus in Judea. His brothers say, you know what? You ought to go to Judea. That is a pretty strong statement of unbelief. They are, at best, mocking Jesus. At worst, they are trying to advocate for Jesus to go in a place where his life may be taken from him. His brothers, the folks he shared bunk beds with growing up, the folks who know better than anyone that Jesus is holy and perfect. But there was unbelief. We see here in verses 12 and 13, it says, and there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one would speak openly of him. We talked last week about the fact that there were some obstacles 
to belief. We still see those obstacles in place here. There are some things that hold people back from their ability to believe. We talked about the fact that they're just things that it was hard for them to understand. And there are folks in that day, and there are folks in this day that are not ready. But we see one of the obstacles here is peer pressure. It is because of the influence of the religious leaders that are so strongly opposed to Jesus, the cultural trendsetters that said, listen, it is not appropriate for you to be a follower of Jesus. And so that stifled the number of people who are believing. Some of them are not ready. Some of them are intimidated. Some of them are not strong enough. In fact, we even see our friend Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is our friend because he's going to be woven into the story of John's gospel all the way through. And so John chapter 3, he comes to Jesus at night. We don't know why he came at night, probably because he wanted to keep things low-key. He has a conversation. We don't know how that conversation finishes. Here in John chapter 7, he shows up again at the end of the chapter. And the religious leaders, of which he is a significant member of that panel of leaders. They are saying, we've got to get rid of Jesus. We've got to execute Jesus. We have to have him arrested. And Nicodemus quietly says, well, I mean, we, we wouldn't want to do that without having a fair trial, right guys? I mean, we, we, we wouldn't want to do that. Now again, we don't know where Nicodemus is in his faith other than he seems he seems to be open to Jesus. We don't know the degree of his faith. But he's certainly not made any public profession of his faith. Certainly nobody in that room knows that Nicodemus is interested in being a follower of Jesus. In fact, when he says, listen, you know, before we kill somebody, we ought to give them a fair trial. And the response is... Nicodemus, you bumpkin, are you from Galilee as well, that you've been mesmerized and hypnotized by Jesus? And it's just thrown away. But there is evidence there that says that that pressure was either keeping Nicodemus from full belief or it was keeping him from being quiet about his belief. That's a pressure that exists in the world today. But I also... If, if you read this chapter during this week, I also want you to notice that some of the obstacles that kept people from believing were false. That they weren't true. That they were, they were fake news. In fact, there are some people that says we cannot believe in Jesus because the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem, so we can't believe in Jesus. Well, guess what? He is from Bethlehem. You are saying we can't believe in him because the Messiah is going to come from the town of David. Listen, investigate more. Jesus does come from Bethlehem. It is not a deal breaker. He is from Bethlehem. Other people say, well, we can't believe in Jesus because, because I mean, he's from Galilee. It's the home of all those bumpkins. Where, where, where no good ever comes from Galilee. In fact, people have been saying that for a while, even in the Gospel of John. But there are Old Testament prophecies that say that the Messiah not only will come from Bethlehem, but he will also come from Galilee. Jesus is the perfect fit for all of those prophecies. In fact, there, there are people who say in John chapter 7, 
well, you can't believe, you can't believe in Jesus because none of the important people, none of the smart people, none of the people who really know the word would believe in Jesus. But there is Nicodemus, wherever he is on his faith journey in John chapter 7. He is one of the smart people. He is one of the learned people. He is one of the important people. And he is seeking Jesus. You see, all of these statements are false statements. And they're lies. I will tell you that over the last 2,000 years, there continues to be a whole train of false statement and lies about Jesus that people have used to put a wall between themselves and Jesus. And maybe, maybe they want to have a reason not to believe, or maybe it's the peer pressure or societal pressure. There are people today who say, Oh, Jesus, Jesus is, is, is unloving. Jesus is, uh, boy, if you, if you follow Jesus, all the things that Jesus is going to make you do are so hard and harsh that, 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 there's, that you, you don't want anything to do with that. And yet Jesus is the most loving person who has ever lived. There, there are those that say, listen, you can't believe in Jesus because the things that the Scripture says about him are not true and the Scriptures don't even agree with each other. But if you take a look at the word of God and the consistency of the message about God and the consistency of the message about Jesus, it is the most, it is the most consistent historical document that exists. But the whisper, the false whisper continues to permeate. There's the whisper that says Jesus is ungracious and that if you come close to Jesus, he will reject you because of something that's in your past. That's untrue. And so I would say to you, if you are in a status right now where you are a person of unbelief, I would just call on you, check. Check the reasons that you're not believing. Now it may be because you don't want to yield your life to Jesus. That's a deal. He says that's what we have to do. But I will tell you that many of the whispers that are spoken about Jesus are not true. <laughs> do you know that the earliest days of the church, after Jesus ascended to heaven and really at the end of the book of Acts, people would not go to a church with the believers in Christ because they accused them of cannibalism. Because they ate the body and the blood of Christ. And, and they thought that behind those closed doors, who knows what they were doing. They, they would hear about this love feast. And they're like, well, that, that doesn't sound like a place that we need to, to show up. And some people miss out on the glory and the resurrection and the hope and the love of Jesus because they have listened to a whisper that wasn't true. Not everyone believes. But if you are in that status of unbelief today, make sure that what's keeping you from believing is not a whisper of unbelief. Jesus is from Bethlehem. Good will come from Galilee. The smart people, the intelligent people who know the word of God, 
<laughs> they do believe. They do believe. Don't listen to the whispers of deception and untruth. So some people believed. Many people believe. Not everyone believed. But here, here is my favorite thing that I could not wait to get to this moment to tell you. That there are some people who do not believe today who will believe tomorrow. Hear me, hear me, hear me. There are some that don't believe today who will believe tomorrow. Remember those disciples? I mean, remember those brothers that basically wanted to push Jesus into the oncoming traffic? It tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, after the resurrection, when the 120 believers in Jesus, the core of that church, met in that upper room in Jerusalem for their own safety, just the last people that still believed, the 120, it said in that room were Jesus' brothers and his mother. Now, we don't know how many of his brothers, but it was more than one because it doesn't say Jesus' brother and his mother. It was his brothers. In fact, if you reach to the back of your Bible today, the book of James is written by one of those brothers of Jesus who in Jesus' lifetime did not believe, but after the resurrection did believe. If you take a couple pages further over, the last, one of the last books of the Bible is written by someone named Jude. As far as we understand, that's another one of the brothers of Jesus. They moved from unbelief to belief. In this day, they wanted to push Jesus into traffic. They mocked Jesus. They had no place, no space for him, no room for him. But that was then. The day was coming when they too would believe. Then there's our friend Nicodemus, and I don't want to ruin the story, but by the end of the Gospel of John, Nicodemus will stand in the hardest of all days to be a follower of Jesus and announce to everyone, I'm with Jesus. And that crowd Many of people in that crowd that says, no, this is not a good man. No, this person is leading them astray. This was this festival crowd that was packing that city. Just a couple years later, there would be another festival crowd. We find it in Acts chapter 2. And it's the first time that the gospel is preached and proclaimed in that city by the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus. And out of that festival crowd, 3,000 people became believers. Many of whom were in this crowd in John chapter 7 with their arms crossed and saying, I don't think so. Let me tell you, that is great news. Let me tell you, that is great news for you. If you are a person who is currently in a status of unbelief, you are in a, in a state where you have had your arms folded, your arms crossed and said, this is not for me. Just because you were in unbelief yesterday 
And just because you're in unbelief at nine o'clock this morning doesn't mean you can't be in belief by 10 o'clock this morning. You can believe. And your status of unbelief becomes something that falls away as you move your life from unbelief to belief. I will tell you that this is great news for those of you who have people in your life that you love and that you care for that are currently in unbelief. And some of those folks have been in unbelief for a really wrong time. And sometimes we even get to that place where we begin to doubt that they would ever move from unbelief to belief. But they do. But they do. And so I want you to know that some of those people that you've been praying for and some of the people who your heart aches for, they will in time move from unbelief to belief. And I will tell you that this is true this is good news because this includes some of your neighbors, your coworkers, people that you run across in town, people who you know their names, people you don't know their names. Some of the people that you see today that are currently in unbelief will in time become people of belief. This is great news for our church because it means that there are people that God is going to use our church to reach. There are going to be people who are going to take up some of the seats that are next to you with people who today do not believe, but who will in time believe. It's the whole reason we have Hope Sunday. It's because we know that there are people today who are in unbelief, who will in time become people who believe. So what does this mean for us? What's our application this morning? It's really quite simple. The application is that those people that you love and that you care for who do not believe today, don't stop praying for them. People across this community that you may not even have a relationship with, do not stop praying. A lot of times when we print one of our prayer guides, I like to put in that prayer guide the next person to come to know Christ. I don't know what their name is. I don't know who they are. But God does. And whether it's visible from the outside or not, they are on the verge of belief. And so we pray for that next person to come. But then we also need to be ready to share. That's part of what Michael was talking about. The simplest way is to share an invitation to church. But, but you have the ability to tell your story of how you moved from unbelief to belief. And how there was a moment when you had to take a step of faith beyond what you could see for yourself. And so one of the things that we have to do is that we have to share. So we pray and we share and then hear me, hear me, hear me. We believe. And what I mean is that there may be someone who's here this morning that has spent their whole life in unbelief. Maybe it was peer pressure, societal pressure. Maybe it was some of the whispers. 
Maybe it felt like Jesus just wasn't talking to you or, or, or that he was untrue or he was ungracious or, or it was unloving or that his demands would be too much than you can handle. But it has been chipping away inside of your life that it is now more unreasonable not to believe than it is to believe. And so this morning, maybe the step that you need to take is to say, when Jesus says, whoever believes in me, for you to basically say, I believe. I believe. I believe. And when Jesus says it, it's simple. And you know why he says it that way? Because that's the way it is. Whoever believes in me. And so in this moment, you can raise the hand of your soul and say, Jesus, you can add me to the people who believe and put the weight of my life on you and live my life under your authority and under your grace. Let me pray for you.